In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. tubular bells on your uh, keyboard there i don't know what that is <laughs> that's the the music that plays oh in the beginning you know the dinner <laughs> yeah. no i didn't i didn't have time to learn that either come on i just got i just got john carpenter because it's one key <laughs> uh you're listening to the Verhoeven effect podcast i'm conlin i'm nathan we have another very special episode just in time for you know October spookiness we have and I have a satanic uh, background <laughs> we have the 1973 The Exorcist uh, came out on December 26 1973 just inside for Christmas just you know? in time to take the family to the movies <laughs> uh, directed by William Friedkin who's like kind of a very lauded director they do stuff like French Connection yeah. things like that I'm immediately forgetting all this stuff yeah I believe he's still alive yeah, he's like 90, but yeah, he's still Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say my favorite, we'll talk about some William Friedkin movies really quick. My yeah, One of my favorites, The French Connection, also Sorcerer, which is one we tried to do for this, but it was like, it wasn't something that a lot of people knew. The Exorcist, yeah. probably one of his most famous ones. Yeah, yeah, most likely. And then Blue Chips, which is a great sports movie from 1994 with Nick <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then to live and die in L.A., which is kind of an interesting. It's like about a Secret Service agent fighting corruption. And so I was listening to his autobiography, and it's kind of interesting. So you know uh, WGN out of Chicago, because yes. he's a Chicago guy. So he went to go. Like, there was an ad in the paper to like start in the newsroom at like the TV station, and it was for a different TV station. But he showed up at WGN looking for a job. And somebody thought it was so funny that he was such an idiot that they gave him a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, all right, he started working for WGN, and then he started working like their their live TV, and they only did live TV. Uh, and then he had the gall to like he found out about this guy who was on death row, and he had the gall to like let's make a documentary. And he got a guy to give him five thousand dollars, and they knew nothing about how to make a movie. Yeah, <laughs> like they were cutting film. This, they said this is before. He said this was before translucent tape, so they literally had to to glue the film together and nice. edit it. <laughs> Fun. That sounds like a blast. <laughs> and while they're at, they were editing it, like somebody's yelling at them, it was like. This is a live TV station. What are you doing editing anything? <laughs> anyway, so there's this guy on death row who was very charming, and they basically couldn't believe that he actually killed the people they say it is. And they're like, oh, he's a black guy. And so the cops just beat a confession out of him. Like, that's why this guy's on death row. And so it basically does this documentary. It doesn't really get released, but it basically gets a stay of execution for him. But while he's doing this documentary, he actually gets like invited to an execution because he's like 
meeting all the other people too, and he like describes that. What was the Illinois was method a, of execution? Were they lethal or the gas chamber or electric chair back then? I think it was electric chair. Okay, those are yeah. fun to watch. I hear. <laughs> it's life. Uh, <laughs> but like, we, we, he said this guy was like so charming, but when he put him on film, like the charm just kind of like went away for some reason. And so, and so he's like, and he goes up to him and like, and Willie freaking just has this weird way of talking where it's like almost monotone, but like almost has a charge to it. Like, I, I'm William freaking quote unquote. <laughs> they said I was the hottest new director in the world. End quote. <laughs> That's William freaking. And so. Yeah. 20 years later, they'd say I was autistic. <laughs> and so he's like. And so he's talking to, to Paul Crump is the guy. He's like, Paul, do you love me? He says, yes. He's like, Paul, do you trust me? He says, yes. And then I slapped the shit out of him. <laughs> and then when he interviewed him, he had like life to him. He was crying and everything. Yeah. Um, he was like, the system's getting me seven different ways. <laughs> They're going to electrocute my ass. I got this dude in here beating the crap out of me, trying to help me. <laughs> Where, where is God? <laughs> <laughs> so he did, he couldn't get the movie released because like they the, like the lawyers won't let him, but he could like have it a film at a, a film festival, and he like took it to like the San Francisco Film Festival and won like the prize for like best film or something like that. And then he like sent it to like the the governor, and he ended up getting a stay execution for this guy. Okay. Um, and then, like, but I like the weird thing later on. It's like, so he's like, he gets life in prison instead of execution. And then he actually gets like released from prison as like being like, no, you're rehabilitated. And then he gets out and he like ends up having like fights with his family members and stuff. And like, I don't think he goes back to jail, but like, he seems like, oh, he doesn't seem like he, he doesn't seem like the person he was. He wasn't seem like the nice guy in prison that he was. Yeah. And then, and then you have like, William Freak like, in there to slap him. <laughs> and then he like yeah then later he just kind of dies of like pancreatic cancer um but and then like and then like william freakins like it's like at the time i think i was correct but having looked at it over those years i think it was just a great con job to not die <laughs> yeah but with no emotion no <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's like i set a murderer free <laughs> huh oh well Oh yeah, there's like this list up front of like all his failures that are just hilarious. It's like this young man wanted to do music for my movie. I said no way. That man was Prince. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is that a mistake? It's like, no, it's just something that happened. <laughs> there was something where we was talking about like he he had a chance to get like ownership in on like Mike Tyson, but that's how he described it. I was like, wait, what the, what's this? And like, I guess like, you know, Mike Tyson's making money and he had like an LLC of him. And then like, he could have bought into it or something like that. And he didn't it's like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. It's just a lot of hilarious things where he just like had no faith in it. And it just goes to show. I was like, Hey, if you think I'm a great film director, let me tell you about all the things I missed on completely or yeah. all my failures. Yeah, this wasn't just a string of successes leading to this. <laughs> no. <laughs> a cinematographer, I didn't oh, Owen Rosman, I didn't even look up his stuff. So we're gonna like slightly pause for a second as I look up what he actually did. 
Although they did shoot this movie kind of like a document. Like a documentary. Well, they said they did. Um, that's why William Friedkin uh, got picked up for the role. Oh, okay, okay, so he did like he's done like Friends Connection. Uh, so he's working Friedkin a lot. And, oh, he did Network. Okay. <laughs> he did the Adams Family movie. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. He's flexible. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, he's got some. Yeah, Friedkin's an that. interesting guy. His his grandparents and parents fled Ukraine. You gotta remember, Friedkin oh. was born in '35, so <laughs> so they they fled. Uh, uh, well, they're Jews, but they're from Ukraine. I don't know if they're Ukrainian or Jewish or Ukrainian Jews. I don't know how they do that, but yeah, because there was a, another a pogrom, uh, not the yeah. World War II one, just one of the many before that, and so they fled and um, ended up in Chicago. Yeah, he he kind of had an interesting childhood, and I, I was trying to th- think of like his. Because I know his dad, he, he liked his dad, but he thought his dad was also sad because yeah. he wasn't really like a guy who, he liked to read a lot of books about history and stuff, and but he wasn't really, he didn't like to work. Uh, not work, but not he wasn't interested in making money. Like a lot yeah. of Friedkin's relatives were like all about like, oh, I own a business. I own like a grocery store or something. You know, kind of like that Jewish story from that time. No, not his dad. His dad liked to read books about history and talk about politics and stuff and and he's like, oh, he, he would just talk to his dad for, a, for hours about things like that. But it's like oh, his dad, all his dad did was observe things. He never like <laughs> he's a smart guy, but he just didn't really want to participate in anything. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, kind of <laughs> smart guy, but not someone who was like, I just did. He just didn't want to do the rat race, I guess. It's yeah. like, yeah, I like reading my books and living in our <laughs> small apartment. I like my free time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is like I totally get for it, William yeah. Friedkin's dad. I'm like, cool, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I don't, uh, I can't throw any stones at that. I just, I, I hate myself enough to go to work, um, so I can live <laughs> kind of comfortably. But yeah, it's not. Uh, this is written by William Patter Peter Blatty, who yes. did the book, and this is very unusual for the person to write the book to get to write the screenplay because usually they just like those tweets. <laughs> Those tween never shall meet. <laughs> no. This book is like my get... child. You want to cut it apart. <laughs> and yeah, we both watched the the extended director's cut, which I guess is kind of like a make good by freaking to Blatty, who thought he cut like all the best stuff. So he cut all the but basically a lot of the conversations were cut out. Yeah. Which Blatty thought were important and beings like the only versions of that mo- movie I've seen and remember is the director's cut. So I don't. I'd have to watch the regular one to see like the difference. I mean, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it all. Yeah. So I don't think there was any like. I mean, this is a movie from a different time. They wouldn't make this movie this way nowadays. I accept that. <laughs> but I'm also a guy who's like I have a love for exposition and long conversations, especially yeah. when they shoot it cool, like when they were shooting, <laughs> doing the lighting from Rembrandt. It's like yeah, I just want their faces. <laughs> and just a black background while they're talking about this stuff is like, oh, it's amazingly interesting because the dialogue's cool and the way they're shooting it, it seems like this is exactly what you talk about in a dark room is this devil stuff, <laughs> you know? It's... Well, this movie has a really slow build. Probably the, you know, again, I'm guessing where the act structure is, but I have this being like the longest act one of any movie we've done. <laughs> yeah, or the shortest, depending on if you just want to make a rack act one. 
And we have an <laughs> yeah, extended yeah. act two smeared into three, <laughs> and then we have the exorcism as act four. <laughs> Cast Ellen Bernstein, who I don't know, Max von Sydow in old people makeup. <laughs> yeah, it's like Max von Sydow was always looked old. It's like, no, you just remember him <laughs> as an old man in, in, in eight hour makeup to look that old in, in the 70s when he was actually like in his late 30s, early 40s. Yeah, because I was watching this movie and I was like, Wait, is that Max von Sydow? That can't be. It's like, oh no, is that no, Max von Sydow Senior? <laughs> and of course, Linda Blair <laughs> as the possessed girl. This is we my. This is one of my. I don't consider. I'm. I'm on the fence whether this is a horror movie because, like, well, one of my freaking doesn't consider it a horror movie. Okay, well, maybe he knows more than I would have to go with him because he actually <laughs> made the thing. Because I've never seen this as like the ultimate in horror. It's like, oh, this is like a procedural like a police yeah. procedural involving s demons <laughs> and the exorcism of them. Um, yeah. Well, it can, well, almost half the movie isn't even like exorcism. It's like medical procedure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what I like about this movie. It's like, okay, it's a process of elimination. So you've eliminated what all the known and then you, and you then you delve into the unknown. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we're at the end of science. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, I've never seen this movie before, basically because it's like ah, I know it, you just absorb so much of it through cultural osmosis. But yeah, I didn't realize like kind of all the procedure stuff too. Well, where did you first see it? Or? Oh, I watched this movie probably the first time when I was twelve years old, <laughs> um, maybe ten, because I liked it because the priests and uh, they seem like calming people. Like oh, they're calm people. They're talking about stuff, and then all this crazy. Stuff happening and it did scare me back then it's like well what if, but only under the auspice of what if that's real and then as yeah. i went through life it's like i see no evidence that this is real but <laughs> thank you i mean good I'm glad we don't have invisible forces taking over our uh, bodies and little angels and demons sitting on our shoulders telling us stuff but it's like this was only scary to me even as a young kid it's like only if this is real and then i would kind of look for signs of it like, you know, one of the th reasons I know so much about religion is I used to read a lot about religion, just like just to look for the signs of like, how do you know bad stuff is where, <laughs> how can you find the bad stuff before it happens? I, yeah, I used to have like weird things like that when I was a kid. People thought, you know, it's like, why is he asking about this book? He's like 12. It's like, well, you know, it's a weirdo. But well, yeah. I mean, this is book is based on a you know quote unquote real exorcism in like 49 or something the last yeah. exorcism that catholic church ever did but in america uh, oh in america okay yeah they don't uh that yeah there's a fine line you have something in america called a tort system which is a, basically means a, torts means wrongs and it's a basically a way to sue people if they screw you or your kid up with you know, defective products <laughs> or defective ideology or whatever and I mean, the Catholic Church is a, is a well-known customer of our tort system, but for different reasons. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this made an impression on, on, of me, on me as a kid. I probably wasn't supposed to be watching it, but I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, always, yeah, I always heard people talk about it, too, but they only talk about, like, the crazy stuff. Although the weird thing is, I think, I thought I remember as a kid people talking about the crab walking scene, but which that was added in back into the 2010 version. But yeah. Like, so I don't know if it was that was out there before or it only came out after and i just somehow like remember somebody talking about it before well this is one of those movies that in like this in the early or well early to mid this movie came out like a year before i was born so 
so it like it it, it, it was in the uh, what do you call it the zeitgeist. Yeah, I guess is like there, but there was so many rumors and stories about this movie yeah. that weren't true. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that like yeah, they're, they're, it's like oh yeah, there were longer scenes and other stuff, and but it was cut out of the movie because it was considered too disturbing for audiences. <laughs> but then you find out later, it's like no, the special effect didn't work. Uh, the crab walk scene was put in in the director's cut because they could rework it with CG and stuff and make yeah. it look better because it was just her in a harness where you could clearly see the wires and stuff uh and it's like yeah it didn't work with 70s tech and the kind of movie making they had then that's why it wasn't included yeah because if believe me if they weren't including scenes that were shocking in this there's a lot of other there's one scene in particular i still can't believe is in this movie uh even by today's standards uh, the thing with the crucifix is like wow we're just <laughs> out of our mind so we act one we fade in on a brick house we have the creepy music playing or no is it just creepy no nah, i think the first we get the exorcist music is when when she's walking home but yeah we just have crappy creepy music playing uh and then we have a shot of a a uh, virgin mary statue mm-hmm. uh, and then titles the exorcist i was also like william freakin and william peter blatty the definitive and, edition <laughs> and then we fade to like a sunrise i think it's a sunrise uh, in Iraq, yep, <laughs> one of the first Hollywood movies. The well, I'm not sure if it's the first, but it was the first in a long time to shoot in Iraq. And uh, we have people digging amongst the ruins. The interesting tidbit I picked up from the commentaries apparently, apparently, like where they're digging, it was like so there used to be Sumerians around there, and they would like go into a town, kill all the people, behead them, and then behead all the statues of their gods, and then just like bury all the bodies and the statue heads all together. So. That's what they're digging up is this uh, this archaeology. Which would be fun to unearth. (laughs) Oh, look, a skull. Oh, look, a devil head. Wonderful. (laughs) Sleep tight. Good night. Go climb in that tent and get some sleep. It's only 130 (laughs) degrees during the day. Have fun. Which makes me like want to look up like what the hell is up with Sumeria because that's also like stuff in Ghostbusters where it's like ancient Sumerian and I'm like is this just a buzzword or is there stuff to like how weird Sumeria was? It comes up in uh, in U- UFO lore. Uh, that, well, there's some about like we we don't know what we don't. It's one of those ancient cultures where we haven't really deciphered their language and we because yeah. we really can't because it was one of those languages where the spoken language died. The written language is this, but no one who's around who speaks it or who understands it, really. Or maybe there's like two guys at some university that think they do. I don't know. But yeah, so the Sumerians are always like, they played a big part, but they're, you know, because we, we never found that, that uh, like the, with the Egyptians, we didn't know what all those birds and pigeons and wavy lines meant until the guy found the stone that like, oh, okay, this translates it into another language that we do understand. Never found that for the Sumerians. So now the Sumerians are like, oh, that's the language of aliens and people from the stars and any other bullshit you want to assign to it. It doesn't mean it's true. It just makes for a cool story. Sumerian, yeah, I very old con- civilization. <laughs> I always want to confuse the Rosetta Stone with the Tabula Rasa. <laughs> oh, yeah. They sound uh, like they tabula- should be the same thing. Well, Tabula Rasa is like a concept of like an empty person you can fit anything on or something like that. I forget. Something like that. Yeah. pretty much A person who has no communication. Okay. Like, how would you teach them how to communicate? That's how that's how I'd boil it down. I'm sure I'm okay. oversimplifying that <laughs> to the point it's like um, a skit on jackass, but that's how I get it. 
we see a kid running and he goes finds uh some white archaeologist that smacks fine side out as father Marin, not of wtf but you know <laughs> yeah it's a different Marin. different Marin, different uh, spelling so they found something uh and then yeah he ends up finding like a i wrote lion's head talisman but i'm guessing these are all just like demon head talismans or something yeah and then the old guy goes to get his afternoon tea and here i wrote with probably some ma- malaria medication or something but apparently that's nitroglycerin pills for his bad heart yeah so. his heart's failing him he's got this nice silver capsule to hold all his pills in. <laughs> yep, those little tiny pills and then he just kind of like stares in the middle of the distance for a long time and just looks unwell so uh and there's like almost no dialogue for like this whole first nope so you don't know what's going on it's just uh um it's just a it's a cinematic wonderscape of a world so alien that it's 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 like um and i've watched things where it's like oh this means this and that and if you notice these people are staring at him constantly and they represent like an evil force staring at him and then you listen to William Friedkin talk about, you know, on the director's commentary. It's like everyone was staring because half of them never seen a camera before. They didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> were, of course, they were just like, what's this? Because they're not paid extras. They're just a bunch of, you know, guys in the, the, you know, in the Arab deserts in Iraq uh, that are just living in. A, like I said, it's 130 degrees during the day. And it's like, yeah, they're staring well, that, because you're not going to tell them not to. <laughs> well, that tea did look super fancy. It did. <laughs> I was like, what's that? The guy had to tilt his whole body because he had it on his back. And (laughs) And it's all delivered in like silver chalices and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, you know why they do that? Because bacteria doesn't grow in that. Yeah. There's not a lot of water there for dishwashing. So, (laughs) in case you're wondering. Yeah, then he starts staring at some blacksmiths who are just like pounding a sword out or something or something. Yeah, but they're doing it in a cool way. Yeah, it's like, like four of them lined up, and it's like they hit it in a sequence, and it's yeah. like that ching 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 ching. ching, ching. <laughs> and and one the, of them, one of them has like a milky eye or something yeah. like that. So. Again, it's just a it's just a visual, uh, you know, escape to another. It's it's like it's like oh, this is like the Star Wars planet or something. Like <laughs> this doesn't look like anywhere on Earth. Then he goes to like a, I don't know, like they have a church set up somewhere because he's a he's a priest and archaeologist, which I kind of like that aspect. Like all the priests aren't just priests it's like here's my collegiate thing and then i'm also a priest yeah it's uh, kind of interesting a man of faith and science which um, a lot of them are I've, I've never met a dumb priest so he looks over some of the artifacts and then like when he does like the clock in the background just stops that's cool uh he says goodbye and then he just kind of wanders off amongst the iraqis and almost gets like hit by like a horse and buggy and there's just a some like hundred year old lady in the back, just kind of like smiling or something. <laughs> William Friedkin said she was a hundred and eight years old, according to the locals. <laughs> but you don't know from his voice whether it was true or not, or he believed it. As a side uh, note, she's a hundred and eight years old. Anyway, <laughs> as you can see, the scene to like, Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Let's go back to that hundred. And... <laughs> she was the oldest bag in town. <laughs> Left alive by beeswax and honey. <laughs> and he's like wandering still and he finds like a giant demon statue as like there's dogs fighting in the background and we have some more uneasy music playing and he like faces down and then William Freakin describes it as like, this is the face off between good and evil. <laughs> was a cool scene. I thought scene. it was very apparent. Yeah. <laughs> then we just cut to Georgetown. Yep. <laughs> you say. Some lady, Ellen Bernstein as Chris McNeil. 
she's going over a, uh, a notebook and she's just kind of like sucking on the end of an unlit cigarette which does she ever actually smoke in this movie or she just she just suck on the end of a cigarette the whole time you know what i don't remember now that i think of it, i can't remember <laughs> if she really i think she did i think everyone did back then i think it was required to make a movie that like you know at least half the people have to smoke something all the time i don't know yeah i, don't know. I mean i know that the uh damien the priest or it was a I forget his last name. I just mean O'Karis. Um, weird looking guy, but it's definitely a guy who embodied the seventies. Cause he's like in shape and not at the same time. It's like, I'm in shape, but I look gaunt. Yeah. <laughs> I have a double chin, <laughs> but no body fat. <laughs> uh, you know, alcohol and cigarettes do terrible things. Here. Yeah. I've got broad shoulders and a big chest. And kind of no ch- no neck, but I'm also like my cheeks are sunken in. It's like, how yeah. does this happen? <laughs> and he's like 37 in this movie, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she's going over the notebooks, and then she hears some noises in the attic, and she goes and investigate. But like along the way, she just leaves it alone, leaves the attic alone. But then she goes to her daughter's room, and she closes an open window, and then like tucks her daughter in. And then we see it's the morning, and she meets with all the housekeepers. And suddenly, we're in the middle of a movie shoot, and she's. She is a, like a big movie star. She's doing some movie like about protest or whatever. <laughs> and, but as they kind of like, as they shoot the the movie within the movie, they we cut the, the camera kind of follows the priest away, but just for a moment. But then we see Chris walking home. Well, well, apparently she just like hands off a bag to her like butler. And then she's like, just going to take a night, like a nice walk home, which is what I was like, well, that seems unrealistic. But apparently she's just like, I'm on this movie shoot. I'm going to rent this house out while i'm at the movie shoot so this isn't even like a house they live in so she just has enough money she can just like live in everywhere she wants to yeah live live at the movie shoot you know i don't know how actors do it i mean i mean i assume just everybody goes to a hotel but you know actors might do something different where they just yeah like airbnb a mansion for the whole shoot or something like that well i could get the shoot to pay for it you know <laughs> I don't know some yeah some actors have crazy writers and the stuff where they have to have like you know crazy demands that the they'll enact on the studio and there's they'll just put up with it. Well, speaking of crazy writers, you know, um, Stacy Keach was supposed to play Father Karras. The <laughs> studio had already hired him, and the uh, uh, William Friedkin and Jason Miller kept going round and round. Because Jason Miller basically said, "I am Father Karras. You know that, right?" He says, "You're never going to find anyone better than me." So he came out and read for the role and freaking thought about it. And he's like, yeah, I think this is the guy we want. And the studio was like, you know, Stacy Keach has a pay or play option. It's like, we got to pay him no matter what. And they're like, yeah, just pay him. Now, this is the guy I want. It's like, okay, wow. Uh, yeah. Because who was supposed to play Max Foncito? I think it was uh, Marlon Brando or something. <laughs> Which would have been huh. weird. Yeah. The power of Christ. <laughs> Just falls asleep halfway through sentences. It's like, did he die? No, not yet. Uh, <laughs> this is the real horror movie. Yeah. The horror. <laughs> the horror. Uh, uh, as Chris is walking home, she sees the, the priest again. It's uh, uh, Damien Karras. Or, I, I just call him Damien by notes. So. Yeah. Because I think that's kind of funny because usually that's associated as like kind of like a a uh, name for satan or something like that yeah so it's, yeah it's, the omen kind of did that for everyone yeah uh which did that precede this was that like a 60s movie no that was an eight i was thinking that as an 80s joint or late 70s 
Yeah, I'll just pop it in the old. Yeah, just just look it up. <laughs> oh, 76. Okay, it came later. Okay. As she goes home, she talks to her secretary. Uh, a thing or her agent, I don't know. <laughs> Seems like her secretary. Uh, so, yeah, she talks to her secretary, and then she goes and sees her daughter, Reagan, played by Linda Blair, who, I mean, this is her most known role. She still did acting stuff, but, you know, this is what she's known for. I don't know. Do you know her from anything else? Um, Just like when she came back and did those parody movies. Oh. <laughs> I also know she has, like, a really high IQ. Huh. Like, she's exceptionally intelligent, which has probably worked out in her favor for an actress in this role. <laughs> Because I remember, because because you know they were they they I forget William Friedkin had said they went through hundreds of child actors trying to find someone not only who could do this but whose parents would be okay with it. <laughs> and then Linda Blair walks in and he's talking to her and he notices like oh she kind of speaks like an adult like she's talking in complete sentences she it's like if you are you familiar with this is like oh yeah I read the book is like okay can you describe some things that happen in the book. And he basically tells him all the worst parts of the book that would be her, her character, Reagan, would have to do. And she's like, yeah, I enjoyed the book because she talks about all the horrible stuff. And her mom's there and her mom's like smiling like, yeah, she really liked it. And William Friedkin's <laughs> like, OK, I guess this is who we got to because this, this 12 year old has the like emotional maturity to read this book and talk to me about it. And uh-huh. like, OK, because a behind the scenes thing I saw made William Friedkin try to make it sound like. Like she, he, he did his best to like not make sure like she didn't know what was going on, but apparently she knew all everything. So yeah, I mean, I think it was still shot that way because he did okay. say it's like I did not want to traumatize this child <laughs> by a horribly frightening. <laughs> all right, we're gonna put this pillow on your lap, and you're gonna like stab towards towards the pillow. It's like, oh, okay, and then and we're gonna. And then he just doesn't tell her like, and we're gonna add together to look like you're masturbating with a cross. Yeah, <laughs> we're not gonna tell you that. Yeah. Now she um, she knew it was going on, but she, he still didn't want to traumatize her with the physical stuff. Yeah, um, which you know, depending on who you ask and what story well, you believe, everyone yeah, was traumatized. Makeup, well, those, those, yeah, those contacts seemed like a nightmare. Oh, they were. Yeah, yeah. So. they had to put uh, stuff in her eyes that like numbed your eyes. Yeah, so yeah. You could wear those, and it was amazing. Like, there's two actual priests in this movie, like real priests, like because uh, Father. Dyer, the one who gives yeah. him rights at the end. That guy's a, a real priest. He, uh, William huh. Peter Blatty, like worked with him to develop the story, and like huh. the doctor she's talking to when they're doing all the medical procedures. That guy's an actual neurosurgeon. They just, hey, you want to be in the <laughs> scene here? You know, we we want you to do this dialogue. We think you can deliver it convincingly because you're a neurosurgeon. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, the seventies must have been a great time to make movies because, <laughs> like, yeah, it's you get like the actual people involved. <laughs> Hey, you seem cool. Do you want to be on a movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, that's kind of like William Friedkin's. Even though he just seems to be very monotone, he just finds a way to like insert himself in like the lives of the most interesting people in the world. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's your story? <laughs> and he just writes it down. I wrote down the priest walks to his mother's home, but like, I guess, is her mom's like, does he go to New York? Is her yes. Mom, like, live in New York? Okay. He's in Georgetown, uh, which is like Georgetown is a big Catholic university. Because uh, he's okay. also because uh, he's oh, wait, where is Georgetown? I completely now completely outside gorgeous. of Washington D.C. Oh, okay, okay. So it's not that it's not a huge jaunt over there. So no, no, he can you can take a rail thing. I'm sure there. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I uh, they're showing off. It's like a rough neighborhood, and then she 
so it shows his mom being like old and frail, but she lives. She refuses to go to like live in a retirement community. She's an and actual can... Greek immigrant grandmother. That actor, <laughs> who they found in a restaurant. <laughs> uh, she had done some acting in Greece, but essentially she was as presented. And they said huh. they just gave her the dialogue. She did a great job because she had that really thick accent. So it was it was yeah. kind of, but it was like yeah, this was the real deal because her well, name was like... Vasiliki. Ma- Maliaros or whatever she and she died not long after the movie was made so uh, uh, but she didn't she's die no strapped to it nah yeah I don't know <laughs> I never considered that I'm gonna ask on the Friedkin webpage does did Vasiliki end up and you know hell doing the whole <laughs> thing that happened I don't know uh, then we see Reagan and Chris are like playing, like they're down. Well, like I think Reagan's playing like table tennis, and then then Chris finds like the Ouija board for a moment, which I didn't know. So it's like, okay, the Ouija board precedes this film. Like uh, that's that's been, then, that was around since like the forties or fifties. Yeah, it's been around a while. Well, I just know it's it's always associated with like evil or communicating with ghosts and stuff yeah. like that. And that's like, but I never know like where it originated or even what its original thing was meant to do other because they still sell it. It's like, you know, Parker brothers, get your, or Milton Bradley, get your Ouija board. <laughs> Cause they probably just like made a million of those things. and just like, yeah, sell it for $7 or whatever. Get yeah. In store. I mean, it's completely like something like that. It's like, we don't have to come up with rules. Or any, <laughs> you know, we don't have to like pay guys to engineer a game. You just make some spooky looking board and put some felt pads on a piece of plastic with a lens in it. And it's like, yeah, that's going to be the best thing in the world. Like you don't have to have a little monopoly men, monopoly money and a bunch of complex rules. No, just sell it for next to nothing. Just yeah, your friend, your, your kids will have hours of entertainment being possessed by demons that they met on the, on the Ouija board. Well, yeah, I, I, I haven't looked it up. Like, like, are there any like stated things on the box of what a Ouija board is supposed to do? Ah, uh, it's yeah, it's basically supposed to communicate with uh, spirits, and I don't know. It, it's 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 wrapped in vague mysticism because, again, I believe it was something invented in the fifties or maybe earlier. Uh, at least as a commercial product, they pre- they're not called spirit boards. I'm sure they've been around forever, but yeah. they just made it sound because it's it's. It's a combination of the word French word yes and the German word yes. So oh, okay. it's because it, to actually pronounce it would be like we oui, ya, yeah, you know, but it's <laughs> we just say Ouija because we're a bunch of stupid Americans. But uh, that's uh, so they tried to make it seem like foreign and, and mystical. And it's like, no, it's just a bunch of guys, you know, it's like the guys who made the hula hoop. It's like, how can we bring Satan into the family room? Oh, this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Because everyone uh, puts their father. hands on it and it supposedly moves around, <laughs> but it's just one person moving their hands. I mean, yeah, I did all that stuff when I was a kid. You know, <laughs> I was I was always trying to be like some kind of redneck Aleister Crowley just to freak people out. You know, back <laughs> then. Uh, but then I realized, like, oh, I don't have the dedication to invest in understanding mystery religions and the occult because it's just kind of boring because nothing ever happens. You know, <laughs> like if I could learn how to shoot fire out of my hands, I'd be all in. But guess what? It never <laughs> happened. So we have Father. It's Father Damien Crass, who's the priest the whole time. We've been like popping up here and there. Uh, he tells another priest. Well, I think this must be Father Dyer, right? Yeah. Um, that he wants out of the priesthood <laughs> over some beers, and they smoke. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> also in the previous scene we see like his old stuff, and apparently 
you see him use he used to be a boxer uh and probably had a girlfriend too and then somehow ended up in the priesthood and he still boxes but <laughs> yeah there's yeah. no girlfriend because you know <laughs> catholics yeah i mean they're the banning men from sex what could be the downside <laughs> you're gonna just get dedicated normal people right i mean sometimes you do some people just aren't that interested into it but not most people so <laughs> not people who can like convince other people about to believe in god if you can convince people to believe in god you can convince a lot of people to do a lot of things oh yeah yeah i mean the powers of persuasion <laughs> and then you start breaking out the old latin on him and everyone's like oh he's a wizard of god <laughs> this is magic talk uh then we got to we have chris waking up to a phone call reagan's in her reagan's in chris's bed and she said her bed was shaking and she's going to get to sleep. Chris leaves the room and hears noises in the attic. And then she goes up there. But also the power's out. So there's no, you can't go up. So she goes up in the attic with a, with a, with a candle. Yeah. And she's like looking around. Things are getting kind of tense. And then their candle just like blows up like it's a flamethrower for like half a second. And then the caretaker pops up out of the stairwell. It's like, hey, what you doing? And you get a jump scare from him up there. And he's like, yeah, you see? No rats up here. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, the exploding candle kind of kind of get me off my game a little bit. Now that guy's name's Carl, and he's like yeah. a German house servant. Now he, in the book, he has a much bigger part oh, yeah. than he does in the movie. In the movie, he's like just kind of a background character, but in the book, he's he's like you know he brings like uh, his weird like German mysticism from growing up in the country in Germany. About oh no, <laughs> this is you know, there's a lot of German in the book too about what kind of evil spirits and everything. And I don't know if this is the first book that mentioned the word poltergeist, uh, huh. which means angry ghost. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But a lot of people didn't know that like, that's a German word. It's like, Oh, that's a ghost word for angry ghost. It's like, no, it's a German word. It means, you know, angry ghost. Yeah. But. Yeah. That's poltergeist. Zeitgeist. It yeah. Means ghost. But none of that comes through in the movie we're talking about. It was just kind of an interesting <laughs> other thing in the book. Well, I like that the demon in this is called Pazuzu. Is that like something made up or does that exist somewhere No, that's else? a real thing. It's a, okay. it's a, I forget what uh, belief system. Well, is it a part of the Catholic religion or is it some other? It's understood religion? to be. A di See, a lot of things, a lot of things with religion, um, especially Catholic religion, which was like, uh, like that's the original Christian church. Like that's the, the, what the Romans took over. It's, it's the Roman Catholic church. But a lot of religion like co-ops other religious previous religious yeah. things or other religious things. So I don't know if that's part of like that's not part of the like the original like Christian canon that we name all these demons and ghosts. And so a lot of that comes from like Jewish mysticism. Uh, but they also borrowed a lot of stuff from like the um, uh, whatever the Iranians were like. They had lots of demons and stuff because Pazuzu was like a. Um, Oh, how'd they say it in the book? It was like he was a bad demon, but people carried like his icons and statues around because he was scary to other demons. <laughs> so it was like you just use him to scare the other demons away. It's like, okay, I'm cool with Pazuzu. So all the other <laughs> demons get away. And it, that was kind of, but I'm not sure what like the whole thing, because I know we borrowed like a lot of the like demons, angels, all that stuff. So all that stuff comes from Judaism. Uh, and it, that's why they have such bizarre names and stuff. Cause it's like, that sounds like some weird, like, 
uh, Pazuzu sounds like it's like it's a it's a reggae ska band or something like that doesn't <laughs> sound scary. That's not like Mephistopheles or something. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, so it's probably something hijacked from from an older religion or Zoroasterism or who knows, you know, all that kind of stuff. We cut to a priest walking around in the church, and he's like setting flowers up, and then we see the the Virgin Mary statue's been defaced with like boobs and a penis. So. Yeah, it's basically got dildo boobs and then a giant, <laughs> you know, clay penis put on it. Then we have Reagan's at the doctor's, and she starts being kind of difficult and weird. I think we also see like a flash of the Pazuzu face or whatever, where yeah. it just kind of looks like an old timey kind of like almost oh what was the the Nosferatu kind of like vampire almost kind of look to it. Yeah, yeah. But like just but like a, but like you know normal teeth. Well, no, not normal teeth. Like sickly green teeth and big eyes, <laughs> and like a white face or a white green kind of face, which it pops up constantly. Which I think that was that an addition to this. Because they're like several, like they'll have like pop up in like the wall and stuff like that. Yeah, that I don't like, know. I don't remember. I like, yeah, I doubt that was in the original. Because <laughs> I know, I think it appeared that because the same statue that Marin's facing in Iraq in the, one of the last scenes in the book, you see that statue again next to Reagan in the bedroom. Yeah. And those are the only two times that like I see it here at reference. So I think like it appearing on the walls and stuff is like a reverse projection or something, probably something added later. I thought it was funny that the doctor prescribed Ritalin. I was like, oh, Ritalin was, went back that far. Huh? Oh, yeah. That's old stuff. And then the doctor tells, like, said that her daughter told her to keep your fingers away from my goddamn. <laughs> so she kind of laughs at it. It's like, hey, your daughter is kind of being a bit like weird. It's like, and she kind of laughs it off. It's like, oh, I don't know where she got that from. Well, I think there was a scene previously you hear, like, yelling at her husband over the phone because yeah. she's raising her daughter by herself well by herself and her like five thousand caretakers but you know okay. uh, <laughs> single moms you know they got it's a stressful life <laughs> then then we have then we cut to the next scene with they have damien is being rushed to like a psychiatric hospital where his mom is unwell there here's where you learn well damien's like a psychiatrist a psychiatrist as well as a priest yeah because he's dr he's reverend that's his official <laughs> yeah. title. It only comes up once, but yeah. Uh, then we cut to just Damien boxing. There's a party at Chris's house, and then here she learns about Damien from uh, was it from uh, the directors or, or is like is Dyer there? That's oh, from Father Dyer, yeah. Okay, and then Reagan shows up at the party and tells the director that he's gonna die up there, and then she pees on the floor. Yep. <laughs> you know, she well, she really she just kind of pees herself, but you know, it's not like. Yeah, she's just uh, standing there, just pee running down her leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She didn't like yeah. squat down and <laughs> growl like an animal or something. But yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's super weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. Chris puts Reagan to bed, and then they're like saying just what happened was just nerves. And then and then she leaves, and but then she comes back to the bed shaking. And then that's where she's because the doctor said previously, it's like, ah, oh, she's lashing out and lying about the bed shaking. And now she's like, no, the bed shaking's real. <laughs> yeah, it's like being pushed up by a hydraulic ram or something real. Yeah. <laughs> then we have cut to Damien. He's going to bed, like, racked with guilt about his mom. Also, like, his, like, uncle was there, like, basically saying, like, hey, you could have done something better with her about this. So he feels guilt guilty about it. I think he's drunk and he's smoking. Uh, this other, I think this is where Father Dyer puts him to bed and steals his shoes for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure about what that was about. Maybe it was so he couldn't leave or he wouldn't hang himself with his shoelaces. I don't know. <laughs> but then when he goes to bed, he dreams. He has like a bunch of random images in his dreams. And then he sees his mom. He's like running for her. 
but then she just like goes down a subway station and that's like a uh it's like an analogy for her going to hell or something like that yeah <laughs> or dying i don't know <laughs> yeah because i don't you know we didn't see her doing any bad things so there's no reason why she should be in hell <laughs> yeah it seems like she just kind of like just had started having mental illness yeah yeah or, or not even that maybe just dementia but unfortunately they couldn't put her someplace nice so yeah, she was yeah. essentially in Bellevue with people running around <laughs> screaming and and of course she's like I don't belong here you know and it's like yeah she probably doesn't but then we cut to we have Reagan is just screaming and yelling swear words at the doctors and they hold her down and give her a shot uh, and I wrote down oh good the doctor is smoking yeah so we know it's a really good doctor yeah well it's the guy who's under he's so good he's under stress he's got to get the stress out. Uh, he's probably smoking uh, filtered cigarettes, which won't give you cancer. Remember, was that the lot? No, that wasn't the logic then. That was the fifties. This was later than that. And then they run a test on her called an arteriogram by like they tap into her jugular and give her an X-ray. Yep, they shoot dye into her um, the veins uh, running into her brain, and then they can use that machine that's like knock 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 knock. Uh, it's just pounding her with radiation, so they can see. Um, <laughs> You know what? Uh, yeah. it basically, it takes a picture of what all the blood vessels going through your brain looks like. Which, is, if you actually seen one, it's really freaky. That, like, oh, all this shit's going on. Uh, and and so a lot of like the the mythos behind this film about people fainting at the movie. This is the scene that makes people faint. Oh, when the blood shoots out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I had to take a nap after the, after seeing that scene. Uh, oh, okay. occasionally. There's like three times in my life I have weird reactions to like some stuff like that where it's like because I have an overactive imagination. So sometimes because like I don't have problems with like needles or blood or anything like that. But if I have if I get it in my head and like I get over imaginative, essentially I think I can basically feel the blood going through my body and leaving my veins and my organs and all that. And it's a very weird, unsettling feeling that I got to go lay down for. Yeah. I think I would have to lay down if I was thinking about that. <laughs> the only time I think about that is when I've cut or hurt myself so badly, usually on an extremity where you can feel your heartbeat. Yeah. You ever get a cut so deep in your hand or something where you can feel like boom, 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 because there's so much pain right there. Uh, not that deep, no, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's so it's a weird when you get something cut off or whatever. It, you know, your heart, you, you're aware of your heartbeat. Yeah, well, most of the time you're not. <laughs> so that's happened. So that's happened like three times in my life. So, although it's weird because like I have like my Fitbit on and stuff like that. No irregular, like it's not like I have my heart's not racing, but I like I feel cold and like kind of nauseous. <laughs> uh anyway, and plus it's like oh yeah and i can uh, at least imagining all the blood running through my body yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's weird and of course uh doctors don't see anything on the scans so yeah <laughs> you know, they, don't they didn't see like the shape of a demon in her no. <laughs> neural mapping or anything uh back at chris's house the doctors get called in as reagan is convulsing and then she's like ragdolled around the bed like you know being like blown about in like impossible ways where it's like okay clearly her muscles can't throw her about like that so you see her eyes like change and get cloudy her face changes uh then she kind of like yells she flashes the crowd and just yells me, to the horror of the crowd and then the doctors give her a sedative and put her down but they also, yeah, they also hear they also like double over voice with some weird, like, you know, demon voice or whatever. Yeah. 
um but she still had to say the. <laughs> yeah i don't i don't i don't think there's any like i don't know if they just had her mouth the words or she like said them on set and then just dubbed her in later <laughs> yeah i'm not sure that was that's still one of the most shocking parts of this movie like you would have to make her 18 nowadays to yeah, yeah, like a college student or something. You could never do that with a 12 year old <laughs> girl. Um, like I said, it's that part, the stuff that she says, which yeah. it makes sense because of what demons are. It's like, there's a reason she's doing it. It's not just shock value. It's like, yeah, this is the most evil entity. This is like a servant of the devil. It's like, so of course they're going to say things that are going to make you uncomfortable and <laughs> awful and like stuff you never think about. But yeah, it is. It's stunning. It's like, this is this one of those things. It's like, yeah, this was a one and done. And then the doctors try to explain the paranormal to like, but to the dismay of, of Chris, uh, they, they hear it's weird. It's they caution against like a psychiatrist. It's like, ah, we don't think you should do that. We just need to run more tests. Yeah. Um, but in the next scene, they're like, "All right, get a get a get a get a uh, get a psychiatrist." Chris gets home, and then she there's a call, but there's no one on the other end. The lights start flickering. You see flashes of the demon face, like on the wall. Uh, and then we have Chris gets news that like the the film director died, but it's like right next to her house, uh, which I guess I missed the first time that like that he died there. But when she was coming back home, you could see like there was like police outside, like near her house, but. Yeah. Um, so I didn't realize that, like, oh, yeah, she died right outside Reagan's window. <laughs> so, or he died. I think it was that she died. But I mean, he died. Yeah. And then we see and then we see Reagan crab walking down the stairs backwards into the camera and spews blood into the camera. Uh, and I have that being the end of Act One. Yeah, that's definitely introduced something that's strange. <laughs> so in Act Two, we have Reagan's being hypnotized. This is going to go well. Reagan's like face like kind of churns. I don't know what I mean by that. She doesn't do the head churn here, but or do I just mean she like starts getting like sickly or something? Anyway, she grabs a hypnotist balls and kind of like de- like debilitates him. <laughs> so <laughs> hypnotism isn't gonna work. Uh, then we cut to Damien. He's running track, and there's some dude reading a paper wait, waiting for him. It's Detective Kinderman, who tells Demon played by Damien J- that, J.T. Cobb. Uh, do you know him or like, uh, he's like a uh, cop this... actor? Oh, okay. This guy's been a cop in, or I'm sorry, Lee J. Cobb. Yeah, this guy's played a cop in oh, all kinds of things. I mean, he's he's been on TV <laughs> since like the '60s. Um, huh. But he was, uh, and I think he was blacklisted too for being a, this accused him of being a communist. <laughs> okay. So uh, Detective Kinderman tells Damien the death about the director, Burke Dennings. He fell down some stairs, but he gives him the added fact that his head was spun around backwards. Yeah. Um, and then basically the, the detective's trying to recruit him to like look into the case uh, to see if the girl killed Burke, which I don't really know. Like This guy must be a great detective if he made that leap. But like, I think a girl who's kind of sick might turn this man's head on backwards. <laughs> That's some hell of intuition that he's got there. <laughs> Yeah, well, he is the ultimate voice of reason. Yeah. He is like, look, I, I, I know how this happened. I, yeah, I can, I can think this through. Yeah, so he's like the, the guy. Like, I don't know what's going on. He's kind of, uh, he kind of gives a, um, Columbo. Yeah. Remember Columbo? He kind of does the performance like that before Columbo was Columbo, because he's he's Good very low key. He talks and he kind of <laughs> talks through things, and he's like, so, just, just one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> So now that we've done all this, you can see why I'm thinking this way. Now, can you 
tell me anything that might, you know, not make me believe that. <laughs> then we see Reagan at the hospital. She's flipping out. And then we cut to, like, Chris. And she's, like, with a panel of doctors. And they're trying to, like, describe possession in medical terms. Like, you see, there's kind of, like, an alien presence. <laughs> yeah. Like, you mean extraterrestrial? Like, no. <laughs> uh <laughs> And then, and then they just straight up suggest, "Hey, hey, you know what an exorcism is?" <laughs> so, you know, I guess it's a fun way. Like, you know, it's a horror movie, so you know, an exorcism can exist. It's, it's, I, I think it's great that they bothered to go through all of, like real world plausibility until eventually you have to give in to the implausible because it's a movie, so anything can happen. Yeah, so, um, it's the Occam's Razor movies. <laughs> Detective Kimberly looks over the crime scene, and then we cut to Chris finding a cross in Reagan's bed, and he, he she questions the housekeepers about it, but they don't. Nobody says they put the cross there. Kinderman shows up to question Chris about her daughter, like whereabouts on the night of the murder, and then Kinderman asks for Chris's autograph. I didn't know if this was a ruse or he's just genuine. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But like, at, like the last shot in the movie is him like asking father dyer's like hey you want to go see a movie so apparently it was a big movie buff or something i don't know yeah because he lies and says like it's for my daughter and it's like yeah i lie it's for me <laughs> so i thought there was going to be something later on where it's like he uses their signature to do something but no it's, that's not what this movie is. no he's just kind of a quirky movie. guy yeah he's yeah. just and there's a commotion upstairs where you see a rabbit <laughs> Reagan stabbing her crotch with a cross. Yeah. She fights her mom. Her head turns on backwards. Uh, she speaks in a different voice and says, like, do you know what your daughter did? What your daughter did? That's and the then... director's voice that died. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not really clear, but uh, Friedman, Friedkin did that in the in the commentary. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, like, the demon constantly uses people's voices that they know to, to like, agitate them. Yeah, because there's a thing later on where it says, well, I mean, what's what Marin says is like, the thing's gonna tell you one truth, so it can tell you like four lies or whatever. So. Right. Chris meets with uh, Damien to find out who he is, and then she suggests like an exorcism to Damien. He's really skeptical about it. He's like, Yeah, I can't just do that. Like, one, I don't believe in it. Two, I have to get permission from the Catholic Church to do it. So. But then Chris breaks down crying and convinces him to like look at Reagan. Damien meets Reagan. She's like tied to the bed. The bed is padded. Like they, like all the posts are like have pe pillows duct taped to it, so she can't hurt herself. And like her face is like all messed up. Like she just has like sores and stuff all over it. She's got an oxygen tube going to her nose. And I think her by this point, her like her eyes are yellow or whatever. Here she uses like early in the film. There's a Damien's like I think when it's going to meet his mother. There's like a homeless guy. It's like, hey, father, can you help a guy who used to be an altar boy? And he's just like, and he has like bright blue eyes. Which yeah. I didn't know what that meant. With like, it's like, is bright blue eyes a demon thing? Or it was just a, like, because also uh, Max von Sydow had like this, had the same like glowing blue eyes. I think that's just his eyes. But <laughs> Reagan uses that guy's voice to, to say the same line. And so that kind of takes Damien back a bit. It's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it was also like the, the demon claims that his mother is in there with her and the girl. And then uh, Damien questions if she knows like who his mother's maiden name is. And then that's when she just pukes in his face. Yeah. Uh, which the trivia on that is that apparently they screwed up 
had a fire and it wasn't his face and that was just his genuine horror about like all that weird gunk going down his throat yeah although i see i see behind the scenes and they're testing it and they don't the test shots didn't like that seemed to go where they wanted to or just like on his chest but anyways you know myth you know movie mythology it's fun so right yeah you know the happy accident is a everyone's intended purpose and then damon's like listening to i can't did he have the holy water in the scene because he tests something where like he hits her with holy water and she says it burns but like he says later on that like it was just tap water yeah no that was the first because he was testing the legitimacy of it yeah yeah um, which makes it sound like, oh, well, it's, she's not, it's not legitimate then. It's like, no, the demon is deceptive. It's like, oh, okay. So it's a riddle within a wheel within an enigma. Okay. All right. Uh, Damien listens to, to recordings in this like neat, like reel to reel table room. Like it's got like, it's a whole, it's a whole classroom of just reel to reel tables. <laughs> it's really neat. Well, I mean, yeah, because they're at the Georgetown campus. So he probably has access to this stuff, but yeah, it's, that's how you used to have to listen to audio stuff. Yep, and it's back. It's the most expensive form of uh, old, uh, antique media because <laughs> people love to buy those things and have them redone and play the music. And it's like, yeah, it costs. I forget. They break it down in like uh, like cost per minute of listening, and it's like way more expensive. It's, it's like 100 times more expensive than vinyl. <laughs> Man, somebody said something's even more expensive than vinyl. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's real to real, especially with original recordings. Or not original <laughs> recordings, but produced recordings. Because no one makes the tape anymore. Yeah. The last place mm. they made it, I think, was in the Ukraine. Huh? And I think BASF was the last. That was a German company. And I think they had a plant in Ukraine that made it till the 90s. Huh. But now it'll come back because everyone's ridiculous. And <laughs> See, I always wanted a dummy running behind me. I wanted to get one of those big Roland, you know, the, the the with the 88 millimeter reels and just having run on a loop behind me like that's how we were recording the show. But then I looked into like, yeah, how can I find a broken one and just wire it to run, you know, with like a loop tape on it? It's like, no, nah, they don't worry. They got a transmission in them and stuff. That's why they're so expensive because they can record at like 10 different speeds and you have to get in there and mess around with stuff to make them work like that and it's like oh yeah when you start exposing me to electricity yeah you can forget it we'll have a fire break out behind me we cut to damien is giving communion but he seems distraught then we cut to damien is setting up a recorder and interviews reagan Uh, a drawer pops open he's like did you do that and he's like do it again but she doesn't do it they speak latin for a bit oh wait no here i have is where damon throws the holy water on her and then she says it burns but he's like that's just tap water but uh, she also starts talking backwards. Yeah. Damien, Damien talks with, with Chris and then she, he's like, she said, he said that she reacted with the holy water, but so like, but it wasn't. So it must not be true. Um, so it doesn't support exorcism, but then Damien's reviewing the recording with an audio engineer at the college who like recognizes it being backwards. And so they reverse it to real. I wrote reveal a hidden message, but it's just kind of like just more weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I can't, I don't, do you have any, like, did you pick out anything significant about the backwards talk? No, because it would be like demon talk or something. And I, you know, I, I barely know the English language, so I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't know how to. Well, they, they did reverse it. I just don't remember anything significant being said. <laughs> I, I don't, like I said, I mainly watch it with the commentary running. Okay. So. 
Nothing will um, save. It brings me. This is reminds me of one of my favorite scenes in the another movie I like that no one else seemed to. The Mothman Prophecies with Richard Gere. <laughs> Remember where the guy goes outside with a recorder, and then he you know brings like or he has a conversation over the phone, and then he brings it to an audio engineer. It's like so. How's this person distorting their voice and? The audio engineer is like running it through a computer at that time. And he's like, human vocal cords don't operate in this range. This isn't a distorted <laughs> voice because the original voice was never, and they can't figure out what it is. And it's like, oh, it's kind of a cool <laughs> scene in an otherwise kind of long dreary movie that I think is cool, but no one else really liked it. <laughs> uh, Damien gets a call from, from the assist from Chris's assistant. He goes over where she reveals Reagan. She has like help me that's like branded on her stomach or at least raised weirdness on her body. Yeah. Uh, and so he looks at that and is like, okay, that's super weird. <laughs> you know, she's tied to the bed. I don't think she uh, did that like uh, on her own or like as an art. Well, it seems to be so. coming from underneath the skin, not something that yeah. was etched into <laughs> it, which makes it really weird. <laughs> it's like well how is that working and so damien goes to the church to get permission for the exorcism uh and the priesthood suggests Marin, uh the guy from the opening we cut to Marin getting a message about the exorcism Marin's like what uh, the hell man what do you want me to do about this demon <laughs> starts playing a guitar <laughs> what does this all mean boomer lives <laughs> and how does it relate to me and my feelings exclusively because <laughs> now I've made that my thing. <laughs> no, not that, Marin. <laughs> I can't remember. He's like in Syracuse or something like that. But anyways, we cut to it's a misty night, and Father Marin gets out of the cab, and he's standing in the misty fog, and like this is the cover of the movie, <laughs> right? Where he's got like the doctor bag or whatever, and he's standing in the midst. It's like okay, yeah, this is the cover. Which is based uh, on art, painted artworks by a Belgian painter. It's called like the the Imperium of Light or something. And it's just <laughs> the study of light in paintings on buildings and stuff. But as soon as huh. you find that out and you go look up at the paintings, you're like, yeah, he's right. That's what it looks like. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> uh, then Marin gives Damien a list of things to go gather. Uh, Damien asks if Baron wants to hear the background and Eric Marin's just like why <laughs> here's where he says the demon is a liar he'll he'll lie to confuse us he'll mix lies with the truth and Marin and Damien like suit up <laughs> and go in yeah. you know they just got like more you know religious you know they got the you know they got like their dress blues but for you know for church stuff yeah priest combat gear Satan combat gear <laughs> uh you can hear groaning can be heard through the house they go in their breath can be seen because you know they did the cool thing of like you have to do with everything practical at the time so it's like let's build the set in the refrigerator <laughs> yep we we leave it run all night until it gets <laughs> to minus 30 when we come in in the morning to shoot and then because of all the lights and stuff it gets too hot for the breath to be seen so we can only film for eight minutes at a time shut everything <laughs> off come back and film it again <laughs> reagan spouting obscenities again uh, Marin wow. blesses her. <laughs> it sounds like there is like a helicopter landing in my front yard. <laughs> uh, Marin sprinkles her with holy water and she says it like burns and stuff like that. Then they read from the Bible. Uh, here's where we get the, your mother sucks in hell, you faithless swine. 
the bed starts shaking and then the bed starts floating and then Damien freezes for a moment in disbelief and then we see the Pazuzu face for a moment the moon's the, the room is quaking and there's like cracks showing up in the ceiling and stuff and then Reagan starts floating and this is where they start to start yelling the power of Christ compels you the power of Christ compels you which is actually from the rite of exorcism according to Friedkin because he actually huh. got a hold of the rite of exorcism for this movie uh, you know, from the Latin to English, and it's like, yeah, that's what they actually say and do. So, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and then so she lowers back down, and then Damien like binds her hands together, but then she hits Damien with like the good old like two fisted Star Trek yep. thing. What they started playing that music? It's like this took a different <laughs> tone. And then the lighting in the room changes. And then we see like the demon statue appear for a moment. And then they put Reagan to rest, and then they like leave the room and like go to regroup. And so I have that being the end of Act Two. <laughs> so they don't know what the hell's going on. It's like, they don't know they can fight this thing. Was all like Marin's supposed to be like super old because he was like the last person to ever perform an exorcism. So that's like an addition to his heart problems. It's just, he's just an old guy. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, so Max von Sydow's brother died during the production of this movie. <laughs> yeah so it was like yeah it was like really a bad not wasn't a great time for him to have to do eight uh, hours of makeup every day <laughs> father father Marin is ill uh damien's in deep disbelief about what he witnessed uh damien goes into reagan's room and sees his mother in the bed in the bed for a moment um very then, shining looking image of of like or his mother, because it was like, oh, this looks like something from The Shining, which came out years yeah. later. But it's like, that's a weird, because he's white on white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very bright, yeah. Well, it's probably supposed to mimic the, the mental hospitals, probably in some way. But yeah. Like Reagan starts speaking with his mom's voice, but he, he listens to her heart with a stethoscope, and then Damien breaks down reading that wrong. He just breaks down. He's like, starts crying and stuff like that, because he hears the voice of his mother, and he's like, racked with guilt all over it. Uh, and then Marion asks da Damien to leave, and so he does. Marin kisses a small cross and gets out the holy water. He starts reading the sermon again. Then we cut to like Damien and Chris are talking. Uh, Chris asks Chris asks Ray if Reagan's going to die, and then Damien says no. And then he goes, "Oh, I forget. There's a uh, there's like an I forget. There's like an intermission scene that I forget. It's like one of the most important ones that." Uh, that Vladdy really liked where they're just basically stating the thesis of the movie. <laughs> Do you oh, remember what that was. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, yeah. Cause she asked him if he's going to die, if she's going to die. No, yeah. no, this is like between, um, this is between Marin and Damien, like after like all the, the big effects go on and they're just like sitting on the stairwell, like talking about like, you know, like, you know, this is good versus evil or something like that. But I can't remember. Yeah, it's I, I I don't remember the whole conversation. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's just one of those scenes that was added back into the movie for the the director's cut. But yeah, like so yeah, Damien's basically like gathers up like he basically realizes that this isn't about him and it's about like trying to save this little girl. So he basically is like kind of revitalized with faith to go back up there and fight the demon. Um, but then he gets back up there. Damien he finds he finds Marin dead, just slumped over on the bed. Uh, he starts fighting Reagan. Like, just, you know, remember, this guy's a boxer. He's just punching a child. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, almost hilarious. It is funny. It's kind of weird. It's funny. And so he starts demanding that the demon take him. 
And so you start to see like Damien's face like change and take on the Pazuzu like you know makeup stuff or whatever. Yeah. And then and then like he gets into him and then he just runs and jumps to the window, <laughs> hits the stairs. He's bleeding all over the place. And then Carl, the housekeeper, administers the last rite for the last moment that he's alive because you still see him like clasping or whatever. No, that's Father Dyer. Hmm? I thought it was Father oh, it was Dyer. Dyer. Yeah, it was Father Dyer. Oh, okay. Okay, I thought I, I thought I wrote Carl. Oh, okay, I probably got that. Because what Friedkin said it was like his ability to flex his hand meant he was accepting the last rite, which means it meant he wouldn't go to hell for killing himself because he did it for <laughs> a noble reason. Like yeah, yeah. it's just Friedkinisms. It's like, well, maybe that's true. <laughs> I don't know if I got that out of that, but now that you say it, I'll see it. So. <laughs> and then we cut to it's like, yeah, oh yeah, Reagan's appears to have reverted back to normal. Then we cut to like at least the next day. I don't know. Chris is moving out of the house, but then we see the assistant finds like a medallion. It's like I don't. I'm guessing that's the Pazuzu medallion or whatever. But well, it's the same uh, Saint. It's a Saint. Uh, it's, uh, what what medal is it? It's not Saint Christopher. It's someone else. But it's the same one that Marin was holding in Iraq yeah. from the table. So it's like, hmm. Oh, so is that, what, is that supposed to be a good thing or a bad? I thing? think it's a good thing. Oh, okay. It means it's like, yeah, this this is like, yeah, there's evil in the world, but good can fight it. That's kind of the message of the movie. Oh, okay. It's like there's evil and there's a price to be paid, but it can't. It's not undefeatable <laughs> until the sequel. Uh, and then Father Dyer meets with them and sees them off. Reagan appears okay, and then Chris tries handing off the medallion to Father Dyer, but he insists that they keep it. So I'm guessing. So now that now that seems more of a happy ending. I thought like, oh, this just guarantees sequels, right? Because that's the, that's the source of evil. It's like, okay, now I have to see a different one. <laughs> no, it was always meant to in Friedkin's mind as the movie was filmed. That was meant to symbolize like that. Yeah, this is the power of good. Okay, uh, but it also means sacrifice. So it's like eh, good for some. <laughs> <laughs> Dyer looks over the the stairwell where Damien died, and then Dyer meets Kinderman. Uh, they start having a weird talk where it's like, hey, you like movies? It's like, yeah, but I've already seen that one. And it's like, then they just go out and get lunch. And then titles, The Exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. Yeah, it's 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 a great movie. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's shocking. It's hopeful. It's gloomy. It's all these things at once. Oh, yeah. And like you said, you'd never make this movie today. No, you couldn't pace it right. Um well, I'm pretty sure the Japanese would make an anime like this and then, you know, probably make her even a younger child. Yeah, just with yeah, just with like tentacles coming out of her crotch or something, you know. It's, it's just what godless heathen shit that they do. <laughs> oh. I also like one of the, for the floating scenes, I, the, the guy was, uh, one of the producers was talking about a trick they use where it's like, if you just use a wire, it'll, the, it'll contrast too much and so you'll notice it. And so like they painted the wire in segments so that it wouldn't p- pick up as well so i thought that was an oh, they did like you know, world war one naval camouflage where you just break <laughs> yeah. up the silhouette okay yeah yeah okay but apparently that didn't work for like the crab walk scene because that one because i got added in because it could digitally take out the wire yeah a lot more interesting moving that I was expected. i thought it was just going to be like a you know like just wall to wall like head turning and puking stuff but that's really just like that's really just one scene. Like all those things are for kind of from one scene in this movie. Well, and the it's amount of time really that stuff is in the movie, it yeah. seems appropriate and measured. It's yeah. like, cause we've had this build up to yeah. like, how crazy is this going to get? Oh, real crazy. It's going to get nuts. But the, <laughs> the rest of it is a procedural. 
with yeah. a lot of conversation and but not really asking answering a lot of questions other than that's like there's good and there's evil and this is it this is the evil we deal with now in the past it was different evil this is modern evil uh, this isn't some ancient babylonian stuff that like oh we've computers have beat that and science and reason because they even talk about in this movie it's like we don't do exorcisms because of like psychiatry and stuff like we understand the human mind better and it's like yeah, 90% of the cases, 99.9% of the cases, that's right. However, in this one instance, we have to go back in time to <laughs> use the techniques of superstition and fear to fight this evil that we still don't understand. And then, of course, there's been tons of sequels that are not as prominent or well-known. No. You, you've said they're okay for horror movies. Well, The Exorcist 2 is terrible oh, because okay. it's just a bunch of weird psychedelic woo-woo stuff with... Uh, Oh, who's there? like Richard Burton's in it as another priest. It looks totally out of place. It's like, what's going on here? Because it's about hypnotism and regression into some world. And of course, Reagan is now like a teenager or maybe a young woman at this point. And it's like, oh, yeah, the demon's still with her. And all. It's, it's an incoherent mess. Now, The Exorcist 3 is a police procedural with, uh, you know, with like the cop understanding like, oh, yeah, this is evil. <laughs> and it's not a great movie. It's not as good as this one, but it's kind of good in its own way. Yeah. Um, With low expectations, it's a good movie. Yeah, yeah. But this is just a great movie and um, for a lot of reasons. But but like I said, I, don't even, I vaguely consider this a horror movie. Yeah. I consider this like almost a, just a horror, a story with horrific elements in it, supernatural elements, but they play a small part. I mean, you actually probably have literally ten minutes on-screen supernatural horror in this whole movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah, because like yeah, because like it takes like it take, only takes like an hour and forty minutes to get to like the actual exorcism. Yeah. <laughs> also, that the movie's called The Exorcist, and the one guy who's an exorcist is in the movie for like eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we see him more in a rack, wandering around, looking lost. <laughs> But he's an interesting character, and because Max von Sydow is great at that kind of silent acting, where yeah. it's just his presence and the few words he says carry weight because of how, what kind of actor he is. He was a like a Bergman actor. Oh yeah, did yeah. those all those abstract movies with him? So he's kind of used to acting, you know, kind of as a uh, furniture that has dialogue occasionally. But it's more of a look <laughs> and a way he carries himself that that uh, that does it. A large man. Yes, very large Ooh, Swedish I... man. <laughs> well, yeah, as all the Swedes are. <laughs> yeah, there's no little Swedes. They got bred out. <laughs> the years of fighting. <laughs> Always loved the, the whole Scandinavian dichotomy. Everyone's like, oh, they seem happy, and you know they have great countries to live in. And it's like, yeah, they were only the most frightening killers on the planet for a thousand <laughs> years. And then they, they got kind of zinny with socialism. Uh, <laughs> It's sort of a weird uh, uh, arc that they traveled. Because like we so were talking about the Sumerians and the Egyptians and the ancient civilizations, it was because of people from that part of the world that the Bronze Age collapsed. Because <laughs> when these lunatic giants would show up on boats and just start killing everyone, like, yeah, they couldn't deal with that. You know, they, weren't, they had no idea what these people were who they wanted. They didn't have capitals to conquer or cities to overrun. They just show up off on boats and kill and kidnap people and steal. 
and they did it so much it like destroyed the economy of the Bronze Age. <laughs> <laughs> Has nothing to do with the Exorcist, but they're called they well, call them the Sea Peoples. <laughs> well, according to the Intermovie database, voted on by user submission. Uh, the films of 1973, the most notable, <laughs> The Exorcist. Yeah. I'm trying to look up the box office, but as far as I know, it was a huge success. Oh, it was Blair Witch money. <laughs> it was like $12 million budget, half a billion dollars in return. It was like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> then we got Soylent Green. <laughs> yep. That's another up, Ameri- up, upbeat movie. <laughs> American Graffiti. Yeah. The Sting. We got The Wicker Man. Oh, that's a great one. We got High Plains Drifter. That's another uh, yeah odd Clint Eastwood movie. We got the Holy Mountain, which is a weird Jordowski movie. So I don't know if like was that really that popular, or is that just like people? If he's, it's more known now than it was back then, so it gets more votes. Probably sure. one of those popular in <laughs> uh, like places where they had theaters that would play at like in New York, and that's about yeah. it. Messiah of Evil. I don't know what that is. Never heard of it. Live and Let Die. Don't look now. I don't know what that is. Uh, you know, we got like Serpico down here. We got Westworld. Yep. <laughs> we got Enter the Dragon. Oh yeah. We got Papillon. <laughs> yep, that's another good one. So yeah, those are those were the movies '73. So oh, Magnum Forest. Can't even... can't forget <laughs> Day that. Of the, Day of the Jackal. <laughs> yeah, we watched that. Yeah. Yeah. So '73. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting year for movies. Oh yeah. Well, if you like what you heard and how can it, you can find us at where all my where all my plugs <laughs> at anchor.fn slash Verhoeven Effect, where you can go to verhoeveneffect.com. It'll take you to the same place. You can rate our podcast on whatever platform of your choice. You can rate us whatever you want. The only thing you listen to is the ice rating. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. We also have listener support at verhoevenfect.com where you can you can sponsor us at a monthly stipend of either ninety nine cents, four ninety nine, or nine ninety nine. And we'll just do more faster because that's what quality is. Yep. <laughs> that's quality. Quality is quantity. <laughs> um, we, we are ISO 9000 rated in our quality podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are Six Sigma Black Belts, if anyone remembers <laughs> that term. Um, yeah, you can follow us at Twitter at Verone Effect, Facebook Verone Effect. You can find us uh, at YouTube at American Greed Factory. You can watch both that and this show live and unedited. And you can find t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Verone Effect podcast, I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. Goodbye, America.